you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Well, howdy, folks. Welcome back to part three of our Megasode uh, covering Leading Comics number five. So far on chapters one and two, we have gotten the introduction and a chapter with uh, our hero, the Vigilante, as they take on the Skull, whose agents are trying to track down some objects that the Skull can't seem to purchase or buy and that he would rather steal. So yes, a modern day billionaire. Our story today will have the Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy taking on a jewel thief known as the Sparkler as he goes after a rare diamond that the Skull would like to put in, uh, into his collection, just to put up onto his bureau, I guess, as it were. Uh, this story, as I said, from Leading Comics number 5 from Winter 1942, cover date uh, on sale December 9th, 1942. And as a quarterly, Leading Comics number 5 would have been on the stands until about probably March of 1943. So this covers, they say the covers the winter of 42. It's also the winter of 43, as it were. So as that leads to and from one year to another. As we said before, uh, the Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy were created by Superman creator Jerry Siegel and artist Hal Sherman. Neither Jerry or Hal are on this story. At least Hal is not. I can't say about Jerry because I honestly don't know who is writing this story. We've talked, discussed that in Chapter 1. DC just, for some reason, wasn't keeping records of the writers. We do know that the artist that is doing this chapter and all of the chapters is Ed Dobrotka. So I think right now that's as much an introduction as I need to uh, give you for you to go ahead and listen to our audio drama, The Star-Spangled Kid and the Stripesy in the Diamond of Doom. We'll see you on the other side. Quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. The Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy. But won't pay the rental in Chapter 3. Or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls grow old. And we all lose our charms in the end. Square cut or pear shape These rocks don't lose their shape Diamonds are a girl's best friend Second of the Skull's sinister companions in crime is Sparkler, 
connoisseur of costly gems and cunning murders. His skillful snare entangles two of the seven soldiers of victory in a web of lurking death. And it is death that stands grinning once more at the end of a dangerous trail to fulfill a destiny its deluded victim had sought separately to escape in his search for the Diamond of Doom. In the magnificent Pemberton Mansion, a young scion of wealth endures a boring lecture. Sylvester, your loafing days are at an end. From now on, you're earning your own living. Really, Dad, I never loaf. I keep very busy raising tropical fish. Tropical fish? Bah! You're going to get a job that pays wages. Here are the classified ads. Don't want ads. Pick out any job you want and get it. But from now on, you receive no allowance from me. You either work or starve. You're very tiresome, Father. You realize perfectly well that I don't know how to work. But as Sylvester's eyes scanned the classified columns... Hmm. Sounds as if somebody wants to see me in Stripesy. We'll have to be careful. It may be a trap. Upon second thought, Father, I believe you may be right. I'll have Dugan drive me over to apply for a position at once. Well, good for you, Sylvester. What kind of work do you expect to do? Er, uh, laboratory work, Father. I'd like to hunt for escaped rats. That evening, the luxurious Pemberton limousine slips at a leisurely pace through narrow streets. Time to pull a switcheroo, kid. A double switcheroo, Pat. Let her rip. Stripesy touches a button. Sections of the car whirl and turn. And the staid limousine has become the Star Rocket Racer. But inside, Pat Dugan and Sly Pemberton undergo a transformation of their own. Uh, how do I look, kid? Perfect, Pat. I feel like putting a nickel in your tin cup. I hope they don't recognize us through these disguises. Not many moments later. This is the place, kid. I hope we get a look at them before they spot anything is wrong. Ring the doorbell, Pat. The door swings slowly back. Could you please help the blind, sir? Why, certainly. Come right in. He looks harmless enough. If you wait here a moment, I'll get you some money. Thank you, sir. That old man is beginning to look familiar. With startling success, a remarkable transformation takes place. Sparkler. Why, sure, kid. It's me. I've been expecting you. Those disguises don't fool me. I had one on myself. I've got a job to pull off for the skull. And I knew I wouldn't be able to do it while you two were around. So I decided to put you out of the way. As the cunning criminal steps back. Kid, we've played the sparklers game long enough. Let's show him one of our trick plays. 23XZ. 
Now, Stripesy, those Tommy guns would chop us down in no time. Say the word, Sparkler, and I'll drill your initials in them with lead slugs. No, I've got a better idea. They're going to die the way I was to be executed. In a lethal chamber. The gallant duo are forced to enter a large steel-barred cage. This room is going to be sealed so that no fresh air can get in. And the candles? They are quick-burning magnesium flares. And they will burn up the oxygen in this room and you'll choke to death. Let me get my hands on you and we'll see who does the choking. When I was a child, I used to kill mice the same way. Put them under a glass jar and light a candle. So long, rats. As the candles burn, foul choking air fills the stuffy room. No way of blowing those things out, Stripesy. If we expect to last any longer, it'll have to be without breathing. Yeah, and just when we got a lead. Take a look at this paper I picked out of Sparkler's pocket while he was near the bars and I was searching for a key. It's a map of the Kimberley Mansion. And Mrs. Kimberley owns the famous Coram Diamond that leaves a trail of death behind it. That's what he's got to do for the skull, huh? We could stop him if we could get out of here. Think, kid. Think. The star-spangled kid's brain starts clicking and... Good boy. Sparkler forgot that we could move this thing around from the inside. We've got to get to that window. A little more action. Ah, fresh air. It smells funny. You'll get used to it after a while, kid. But how do we get out of here now? If we can turn this cage over again towards those candles, we can do the trick. Seconds later... These candles come in handy. The heat weakens the steel enough so that you can bend the bars. Come on, Stripesy. Uh, they're giving way, but it's a tough job. Slipping through the bars, the all-American duo speeds for the Kimberly Mansion. Kid, here's where we play a return engagement with Sparkler. I'm going to make him see pinwheels in front of his eyes. How's he going to steal that diamond, though? Mrs. Kimberly is having a party tonight and the place is full of gods. I'm going as a guest. Switcheroo. The Star Rocket Racer becomes a staid limousine once more. And soon... Why, Sylvester Pemberton, dear. You said you weren't coming. I'm so glad you changed your mind. Oh, I thought I might get a change of atmosphere, Mrs. Kimberly. I wonder when and how Sparkler is going to show up. Sylvester Pemberton, the young scion of wealth, pretends to take part in the festivities. You must admire Mrs. Kimberly very much, Sylvester. You hardly ever take your eyes off of her. Uh, yes, I think she's very bright. Uh, she positively glitters. She's not wearing the fatal Koram diamond. It must be in the safe upstairs. At that moment, outside the house. There's shooting going on. Come on, boys, we'll get those crooks. Say, firecrackers, we've been fooled. Meanwhile, back at the house. Out of my way, frozen face. Sparkler, at last. So all that noise was just a trick to lure the guards away. <laughs> 
Well, here's where the fun begins. Keep quiet, everybody, and you won't get hurt. Let out a peep, and we'll buy a coffin. Oh, my dear, my knees are trembling. I must rest. Don't be such a coward, Sylvester. They won't hurt you. They'll be gone soon. And don't forget, you're taking my friend and I to the opera later on this week. Only this wall keeps me up. I've got to douse those lights and pull a switcheroo. Click. Sudden blackness envelops the scene of revelry. Hey, who threw that switch? I've got to get together with Pat. Signal 94M. Help, the roof's caving in. In a minute, the floor is going to stand up and hit you, chum. Take a rest. 4P51N. You call the place, kid. I'll knock them for a goal. Suddenly, the dazzling gleam of lights once more illuminates the turbulent scene. Do you see the same thing I don't see, kid? Sparkler is gone. He's after the Coram Diamond upstairs, Stripesy. Hey, what's the big idea? You guys are supposed to be dead. We pack a solid punch for Ghost Sparkler. That one to the jaw was a gem, Sparkler, without a flaw. And here's a little doodad that gives off stars. Suddenly. Click. Kid, they pulled your trick of switching out the lights. When the lights go on once more. They're gone, but they don't get the Coram Diamond. No, but they'll be back for it. Sparkler may know that that diamond brings bad luck, but he's got to get it for the skull, whoever he is. So we'll make sure we know when Sparkler returns. Nights later, a row of sinister figures steals along a path leading to the Kimberly Mansion. This time, the place will be quiet. Stripesy and the kid won't be around to butt in. But a stealthy footstep falls upon a rock embedded in the path. And the momentary pressure sets off an alarm which registers on a distant radio set. An alarm heard only in the Star Rocket Racer where Sylvester Pemberton is being occupied by female guests. That alarm, Sparkler is up to his dirty work again. I've got to stop him. I'm sorry, girls. I'll have to return and continue my studies in tropical fish. I know I'm being impolite, but I can't help it. A few seconds later... I never met anyone so rude in my life. Imagine anyone preferring to study tropical fish rather than seeing the opera with us. And still later. Step on it, Pat. We've got to hand Sparkler that surprise. Sure, kid. But I'm warning you, those girls will never have any use for Sylvester Pemberton after this. The Star Rocket Racer rises into the air to hover over the Kimberly Mansion. They're trying to get in through a window. We'll spoil their game and land on the roof, Stripesy. The rocket racer comes to rest on the roof, and twin thunderbolts strike terrifyingly at the thugs. They're a bunch of wallflowers, Stripesy. The clinging ivy type. More the poison ivy kind, Stripesy. But I can dish out a little poison myself. I know the kind you mean, kid. I just handed this fellow a fistful of it. 
Overwhelmed by the shock of surprise, most of the mobsters meekly surrender. Sparkler isn't here, kid. The rest are small fry. What do we do? Turn them over to the police? Right, Stripesy. And then we go after Sparkler. At that moment, Stripesy's eagle eyes pick out a phantom-like figure flitting across the path. There he is, kid. He got away while we were taking care of his gang. But in the blackness of night, the crime chieftain eludes his pursuer. I can't see him anymore. It's too dark. We'll have a tough time now trying to find him. Dawn breaks and a harried hoodlum hesitates. Now that the kid knows I want the Karem diamond, he'll keep a watch on it. I failed the skull. He'll be after me now as well as the police. That diamond brought me bad luck already. I've got to get out of the country. It's my only chance to save my life. I'll get into one of these lifeboats. Thus, a few hours later, safe at last, nobody will find me here. Everybody's off the ship now, Captain. Meanwhile, a baffled duo seeks the cowering criminal. I don't know where he could have got to, kid. The men we captured revealed his usual hangout, and he isn't there. We'll take a look at those ships down at the waterfront. Maybe he's trying to get out of the country. There's a lot of hiding places on these old ships. If he stowed away, we may never find him, but we'll keep up the search anyway. As a disappointing day draws to a close... We visited every ship in the harbor except the one being fumigated, and there isn't a sign of Sparkler. Wait, what's over there by that steamer? It's Sparkler, and he's dead. The Karam Diamond brought him bad luck after all. That lifeboat with the cover on it was being fumigated to kill rats. The poison fumes killed him. Strange, Sparkler died as he was condemned to die, by poison gas in a lethal chamber. While he thought he was running away from his fate, he ran to meet it. But we still got to get the man behind Sparkler. The Skull. The comrades in combat even up the score for the gallant legionnaires. But will the vigilante escape from the desperados? Can the seven soldiers of victory meet the threat of the sinister skull? Read on to find the solution to this maze of death. So now my notes on um, chapter three of this Megasode, and that is uh, Jerry Siegel's greatest creation, the Star-Spangled Kid. Waiting for the crickets to stop chirping. Okay, yeah, a few people out there will know what I just did there. All right, uh, Star-Spangled Kid is going to end his uh, ward. His chauffeur, shall we say, Stripesy, Pat Dugan, are going to go up against the Sparkler. Before I start, I'll just uh, describe the Sparkler a bit. He's a sort of a, a dandified kind of a gangster. Think of, uh, oh, perhaps the sort of a character Clark Gable might play. Or I was also had in mind uh, Richard Gere's role in um, The Cotton Club, if you're familiar with that movie. 
And I kind of jammed him in with the character that I just love that used to appear on the Jack Benny show. And no, I am not that old enough to remember the Jack Benny show. But I do love to listen to tapes, recordings, YouTubes, whatever you have of old-time radio shows, say, from the 30s to the 1950s. Uh, just, just an era I like. And uh, for some, that's, those are not for everybody, but uh, the humor is fairly clean and that usually means it's it's sort of intelligent um you know they can't use the blue humor and they can't use uh too much uh how we say innuendo so their their challenge is to uh come up with better humor anyway there's a character in that in those uh those shows called frank nelson also known as the Yes Man. I always just loved that character. Um, he went on, uh, Frank Nelson went on from that, uh, with that character for several years after the Jack Benny show. And you used to see him show up in sitcoms over the years. I, I particularly remember him being on uh, Sanford and Son. And he'd also show up on Alice, The Addams Family. I guess I Love Lucy. I, I, and also we'd have representations uh, often on the Flintstones, Jetsons, and I seem to remember uh, a character that Mel Blanc performed that was lampooning him in a Tweety and Sylvester uh, cartoon. And he'd always be somebody that showed up. You walk into a store or a hotel or something like that, and uh, you ring the bell or you knock on the counter or whatever, and this man turns around and it's Frank Nelson doing the yes. And everything he said uh, sort of had a lilt to it and a very sarcastic twist to it. Well, if it isn't Wilbur and Orville Wright. And uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, I've always enjoyed that. Uh I always sort of use that in my everyday life. Um, somebody comes up to me and I just turn around and go, Yes! Most people don't know what the hell I'm talking about and you probably don't either. But anyway, that is sort of the uh, the character I'm melging in with Sparklers. He wears a green suit and a fedora and uh, we seem to have a lot of smokers on this supervillain team that the Skull has assembled and he usually has a... Uh, it's sort of a Franklin D. Roosevelt cigarette holder with a cigarette. Now, a lot of people still smoke, but you never see cigarette holders very much. If you ever uh, see much uh, coverage or f footage or uh, photographs of Franklin D. Roosevelt, he was often photographed with the cigarette holder at a time when uh, nobody minded if you saw a politician with a cigarette. Um, you never saw Barack Obama with a cigarette. Uh, that's guaranteed, although uh, apparently he did smoke like a chimney, and uh, I don't know if he still does. Now, as I said, the vigilante chapter had kind of strayed from the formula somewhat, and uh, so the Star Spangled Kid uh, chapter sort of gets right back onto that. But I like how they're they're bringing in a few tropes from his own series, and that's uh, some of his perpetual run-ins that uh, Sylvester has with his father. Is his version of Clark Kent is sort of being the spoiled, pampered millionaire. He's always reading 
and his father gets exasperated why he won't work or do more business and that's uh played out right here and it's kind of a strange that they're doing this in a one-off such as leading comics and not in his own series whereas uh john pemberton uh the wealthy banker he finally cuts the cord and tells sylvester to get a job or else and hands him the newspaper and goes to check out the one ads and lo and behold uh it's a good thing that john pemberton did that because i'm not sure if sylvester ever would have looked at this paper and saw in the classified columns an ad asking to see uh the kid in stripesy so he and pat dugan uh, jump into a the star rocket racer and uh, they pull a, one of their what they're calling a switcheroo of their own now i uh, often like to say there's often colloquialisms that come into these comics that aren't used much nowadays and i was about to comment on that switcheroo who the heck uses switcheroo sort of wrote that off as a uh, one of those terms or phrases that falls in through the cracks over time and then the other night my wife used it at the kitchen table she said she was going to pull a switcheroo on, on something she, she was doing in her job so okay i guess switcheroo is still a thing do you use switcheroo let us know um so pat and sylvester uh, this is totally politically incorrect um they pose as blind men yes they're going to be selling uh, newspapers and uh, they're supposedly in old clothes. Pat is even walking around carrying a can of pencils. The idea, I guess, is there's a, a trope where if you were blind, you couldn't get a job or sight challenged, as we say it today, so that uh, you would be out on the street selling pencils for a living. Sad, uh, I shouldn't say sadly. Thankfully, that does not happen anymore. Sight-challenged people are a very big, large functioning part of our society, especially when, uh, and th thankfully, you know, they, they do a lot of uh, terminal and computer work as well. And thankfully, they can't see what's on the screen. They have to see it or use other methods. But at any rate, let's get back. Uh, we knock on the door of the address that they got from there. They they didn't show up as the Cater Stripesy. And wouldn't you know it, it's the sparkler in disguise as well. And he sees right through uh, their disguise and realizes that he does have the kid in Stripesy in hand right there in the house that he's using. And at gunpoint... Um, at gunpoint, they forced them to get back into their own costumes. So I don't know if the sparkler or the mob are making notes as to try to figure out who uh, the kid and stripes he are. Pat Dugan doesn't walk around with much of a, uh, a disguise anyway. So when we first see the kid and stripes he in their uniform, um, the sparkler has him behind a cage in a locked room where he has lit a number of candles. Now I had to make some amendments in the play on this because uh, the sparkler had the world's slowest death trap here. He was going to light candles in the room, lock the room, and the candles were going to burn the oxygen up out of the room. 
and supposedly deprive the kid and Stripesy of that air. Okay, this looks like a fairly large room. So, folks, I don't know how long the sparkler expected the kid and Stripesy to just sit there and die. So I sort of changed it in the radio play to fast-burning magnesium flares. If this is the death trap, at least let's put something in here that's going to do the job faster. My gosh, Sparkler, do I have to do everything for you? So, of course, because this is an old-time death trap, Sparkler locks the door, blows some smoke, and runs away. Leaving the kid in Stripesy to <coughs> choke on the oxygen, being consumed by the candles. While I love what Stripesy does before uh, the Sparkler leaves, he manages to pickpocket and find a map that tells him about this diamond. Uh, where this diamond is going to be displayed that uh, the sparkler is supposed to find for the uh, the skull. So we get out of this cage fairly easy because apparently uh, candles, I don't know how much folks you uh, have done any welding or blacksmithing, but it uh, takes a bit of heat to melt uh, iron bars. And I think a little bit more than a candle would do. Um, but, uh, hey, we've changed it to magnesium flares. So, because comics, because Ranger Gord, we, uh, we bend these bars, we smash the windows, and the kid and Stripesy are off. So, they are off to the Kimberly Mansion to where this uh, fantastic diamond is going to show up. I was going to say a little bit about uh, that palming of the map. I like Pat Dugan. I really do. Um, he's not the big oaf that I think a lot of people like to try to portray him as. I see him as a frustrated power engineer who, for whatever reason, the Depression or whatever, couldn't get a job or finish his education and end up as a chauffeur. And uh, because he is who he is, uh, I think he's just a fantastic character who really is a little bit of Ben Grimm and a little bit of Ted Grant and combine that with uh, perhaps uh, an undereducated Tony Stark. So anyway, back to this, uh, the chauffeur and his little charge, young charge rather, uh, Sylvester Pemberton show up and Pemberton gets a nice dance while they're checking out what's happening with the diamond. We have some fake explosions uh, that uh, call off the security guards or the policemen, whatever these uniformed peoples are supposed to be. And that brings the crooks right into the middle of the ball. And Sylvester Pemberton has to pull a Clark Kent. Oh, my weak stomach and head out of the room and uh, his dancing partner is just as thrilled with that as Lois Lane usually is with Clark. Now here's an interesting plot development. Sylvester Pemberton shuts the, off the lights and shades of John Byrne and his Alpha Flight Snowblind issue we get about a p half a page of uh, silhouettes doing a fighty McFightenstein and of course this is the the kid and Stripesy uh, having their way with the goons. When the lights come back on, of course, Pat and Sylvester are in the costume, and the sparkler has palmed the diamond, which uh, the kid 
manages to land a good solid roundhouse on the sparkler's chin and recover the diamond. Now here comes a couple of plot threads that I don't think quite develop. Pat does manage to uh, put an alarm button, a trigger, that uh, runs an alarm through the radio in his limousine so he can hear if the uh, criminals start to come back towards the mansion. And of course it goes off. When it happens, and right out of nowhere, inside the uh, the chauffeured car, Pat's at the wheel, Sylvester's in the back, entertaining a couple of young ladies. Where did they come from? And apparently he's escorting them to the opera. They look like twins. And of course he's with them right when this alarm comes in through the radio, so he has to make up another phony Clark Kent excuse. And he just asks Pat to pull over and he dumps them on the side of the road. And I mean, they he tells them, get out, get out and walk. Well, boy, uh, and they are about as happy with, uh, these two girls are about as happy with Sylvester Pemberton as a, a girl was when I did that one time on a highway back in the 1980s when we were having a bit of a tiff. Well, uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, I had about the same luck, and Pat Dugan is having a big chuckle on this. and goes, you're finished with those chicks, boy. And uh, I was finished with my girl at the same time uh, when I did that. I did pick her up. I didn't make her walk. Uh, maybe less, more than a quarter mile. But that was it. So now that you had that insight into our... Uh, the bad romantic uh, escapades of Ranger Gordon and Sylvester Pemberton. We go back to the Star Rocket Racer, which in auto-gyro fashion manages to land in the, uh, the Kimberly Mansion. More fighting McFightstein. The mob has had enough of fighting the Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy. And I, this is one of the things that I really love about the Kid and Stripesy. There's no super soldier formulas. Uh, and even though they're wearing the Captain America and Bucky costumes in an ersatz fashion, uh, I have to face it, they are their own feature. The, uh, a lot of people uh, don't like the Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy uh, stories from the 40s, and I, I guess that's why they felt they needed to tie it in with Starman and the Cosmic Rod and all of that stuff. But I still like them. I like their military tactics. I like how the kid uses his brains as much as his fists, and Pat does that as well. I truly see them as an equal team, and I would see huge potential in a Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy series um, written today, but set in that 1940s setting. But the sparkler has gotten away, and when uh, the Kid and Stripesy finally find him, it's in the moonlight, in the dark. Uh, he escapes through the forest. When they next find him in the morning, they're down at the docks. Uh, I guess, I guess on a, some sea-going place. So I guess we must be somewhere on the East Coast, Long Island, New York or so. And Sparkler decides to jump into one of those uh, lifeboats with the covers on them that you see on the sides of ships. Uh, if you remember Titanic, that kind of a thing, they would have a tarp cover over top of them when they're not being used. 
he climbs into one of them. Little does he know that the crew of the ship is fumigating the lifeboats to get rid of varmints out of them so the rats don't hide in the lifeboats as Sparkler is doing. When the kid and stripes he finally do figure out where Sparkler is it's as the sailors are bringing his lifeless corpse out of the fumigated lifeboat. Now here's where the formula kicks back in. Bronk got away in our vigilante chapter. <clears throat> Here Sparkler who was supposed to have been died, I guess, by, uh, by natural gas by means of the gas chamber, escaped prison, and what was he killed by? Gas. An ironic ending. I wonder if that will show up in any of our other chapters. Possibly. So other than the weird scene with uh, the twin girls that uh, <laughs> Sylvester literally dumps, he enjoyed this story. It to me, it really shows what the Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy are up to and what they're all about. Uh, partnership, military tactics, a bit of humor, and uh, with uh, Papa Pemberton, I think there's just so many chances for humor in this. And I think they could probably push it further. As uh, I've said before, Dugan and young Pemberton sort of use their class relationship as a bit of a cover for their goings-on. Uh, Sylvester in public uh, re really puts Dugan down. Dugan takes it. But I guess that's uh, that's one of the, the Clark Kent-isms that they use to try to maintain secret identities. So feedback once again uh, on Leading Comics number four uh, which we produced uh, sometime in 2023. And it's coming from Dave McIlvaney on the Star Spangled Kid chapter. So it sort of lines up with our, our Kid and Stripe C chapter of Leading Comics 5 coverage that we're doing right now. Uh, greetings, Ranger Gord. Another fun episode. I knew a bit about the Star Spangled Kid and Stripe C in my younger days, but I came to know more of them from Roy Thomas's revival of the character of Sylvester and, of course, through the TV show Stargirl of recent happy memory. I agree with your comment that the Pembertons certainly should have recognized Stripesy as their chauffeur, and Pat Dugan since he wears no mask, but maybe they're the sort of rich folks who think of the help as invisible. Not everyone is Bruce Wayne, I imagine. I'm really enjoying the unfolding chapters in this megasode, and I'll be interested to see how the Sense Master ultimately plans to use these jewels. It must be something big because he seems to want them for something other than their monetary value. Thanks for the exciting ride. I'll be waiting for the next chapter. Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvaney. Yeah, of all of the soldiers, I think uh, Star Spangled Kid probably has the best memory and anyone who was reading comics in say the late 70s or 80s um, he of course was revived along with the other soldiers in Justice League of America and they carried that character into the all-star comics revival that uh, happened in 1975 under the Conway's corner that Jerry Conway did and then it was carried on by 
Paul Levitz and penciled by Wally Wood, uh, Keith Giffen, the late Keith Giffen as we speak, and uh, I believe Joe Statton. Uh, yes, so Star Spangled Kid did have uh, that relationship. He was inducted into the Justice Society, unlike any of the other soldiers. Uh, so he did have that, uh, I guess, that popularity. You would see him in the JLA-JSA team-ups. And uh, finally, when Infinity, Inc. was uh, brought out, uh, Star Spangled Kid actually was the, lack of a better word, the leader, or I guess better way to say it, the, the Tony Stark impresario who pretty much uh, uh, got the Infinity, Inc. off of the ground within the storyline, uh, then uh, changed his uh, persona to that of Skyman, and unfortunately, because DC doesn't seem to like Golden Age heroes, he had to be killed at some point. Uh, and yes, uh, the, the, the legacy of him, of course, carried on into the Jeff Johns character, Stargirl, in the uh, book Stars and Stripes, which also brought uh, Pat Dugan back into the forefront as well. And of course, uh, because it was Jeff Johns, but... Uh, DC Entertainment produced uh, and uh, in the Berlanti verse, uh, as it were, the Star Girl TV season, which uh, ran three seasons on, uh, I believe, CW and I think DC's own brief network that they had for a certain time. Uh, that series is unfortunately tied up, but. Uh, I think uh, all in all, it was one of Berlanti's more even series, as even as the consistency pretty much remained well through the uh, through the series. Thank you very much, Dave, for that feedback. And with that, we'll draw a curtain on this segment for this episode, or this segment of the Megasode, rather. And we will see you next time when uh, the Crimson Avenger and Wing take on Bull Corbin underground and in outer space. So that should bring you back next week. See you later, folks. Ta-da! <laughs>